Well, thanks for joining us at Crossroads this weekend. Glad you're here on this uh, cool Sunday morning. Um, I'm Dennis, and I'm glad to be with you. If you're in the auditorium, terrific. If you're out in the atrium, or if you're joining us online on our live stream, uh, glad that you're uh, tuning in. Well, I want to start my uh, talk today. We're in our our summer series called Road Trip Through the Book of Acts. And I want to start with one of the most famous college football video plays of all history. In fact, this, is, this play was, became so famous that they, they get, it got a name that announcers, quarterbacks, players have used ever since this play. All right? The play happened in 1984. It's Boston College versus the University of Miami. And here's the play. Three wide receivers out to the right. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College, I don't believe it, it's a touchdown, (laughs) the Eagles win it. All right, what's the name of that play? The Hail Mary Pass, right? Right, it's the Hail Mary Pass, and the rationale is that a pass thrown under such desperate circumstances could only be completed if there's divine intervention. Right? The phrase comes from a Catholic prayer called a Hail Mary. And I wonder, though, why is it that that's the only play that's named after a prayer? I mean, why not a quarterback sneak Hail Mary? Why not a kickoff return Hail Mary? Why not? Mary, the mother of Jesus, is only brought in on the last play of the game. When all other resources have been exhausted, when all other options are off the table, we bring in the Hail Mary. And the idea is that that we don't really need divine help for the rest of the game, right? We got our own game plan. We're smart, intelligent people. Only when all of our resources are exhausted, there's a crisis, do we throw up a prayer, right? A Hail Mary. Desperate people pray. It's just true, isn't it? It's just true. I have a number of friends who say this to me, who said to me, you know, Dennis, I don't pray much, but I did pray when? When I went through my divorce, when I got that diagnosis, when my kids got in trouble, when I was in so much financial pain, I couldn't do anything else, I, I prayed. I prayed. And, uh, you know, a lot of people pray. Even people who don't believe much in God, pray. In fact, Newsweek did a... a an article on prayer a number of years ago where they had some statistics. They said more people pray in a given week than go to work, have sex, or exercise. In fact, they said there were 13% of people who they surveyed that said that they don't believe at all in God, and yet one in five of those people pray every day. It's not bad to pray in times of crisis. isn't. I mean, one of God's most amazing qualities is that he listens to every prayer, no matter what the motivation or under what circumstances. Desperation prayers can be the beginning of a spiritual breakthrough for many people, but they're not sufficient to sustain a healthy, thriving relationship with God. They're not, I mean, imagine if you had a friend, a family member, a colleague at work, and the only time they ever talked to you is when they needed something from you. They were desperate and they need something from you. They never listened to you any other time. They never cared about what you thought. They never took the time to be with you. The only interaction is when they needed something. What kind of relationship would that be? Not much. And so today, I want to talk about hearing God. 
Not talking, just talking to God. We do a lot of that. But what about God speaking to us? Can we hear God speaking to us? I want to talk about specifically to us. And hearing, I hear, uh, the older you get, the more of a problem sometimes hearing becomes. Right? So I've heard. No experience. Uh, in fact, there's this one guy, who, this dad, who, who was just had a troubled hearing. And his family was on his case. Dad, you got to get hearing aids. You got to get hearing aids. And finally one day he gets hearing aids. And his friend asked him, well, I'll bet your family really appreciates that you got hearing aids. He said, no, I haven't told them. I love listening to their conversations, especially about me. I've changed my will three times. So often we're ambivalent about the whole idea that God speaks directly to us. In fact, there's a line in a play that Lily Tomlin wrote. The name of the play is The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. Here's the line. Why is it that when we speak to God, we're said to be praying, and when God speaks to us, we're said to be schizophrenic, hearing voices? Well, we're winding our way through the book of Acts this summer, and today we're going to look primarily at a story in Acts chapter 9 where God speaks directly to two people, Saul or Paul, as we perhaps know him better by his Greek name, and a guy named Ananias. And I want to talk about five ways, maybe you think of these as five hearing aids, that God speaks to people. I mean, wouldn't you like to have more clarity about what God is specifically saying to you on any given day? I mean, how do we know that the thoughts we have in our brains are from God, or they're not just from me? I mean, how do we know that that's the voice of God among all the other voices that are going around in our heads on a given day? But like any relationship, though, as I talk about each of these five ways, we can't turn them into formulas. They're not mechanical. It's not the way relationships work. And honestly, when it comes to communicating, when God communicating with me, it's really, it's really not up to me. I mean, it's my job to listen, but it's not, not my job to tell God how he has to talk to me right? So that's where we're headed. And here's the first one. God speaks to us through, number one, supernatural encounters. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Acts 9 is a, Acts 9, in Acts 9, there's a very devout religious Jew named Saul who is hunting down people who become followers of Jesus. And he's taking them as prisoners to Jerusalem where they're going to be punished, deprogrammed, eliminated. So Paul is on his way to Damascus, a city that is 135 miles north of Jerusalem. I mean, he's out there. He's really going after these people. And on the way, this happens. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And about the same time, in Damascus, this is what's going on. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. We don't have a lot of say about these kinds of supernatural encounters. Saul is acting, in fact, Saul is acting in direct opposition to God. And God just, boom, 
intervenes. Saul's not doing anything religious. He's opposing God and God comes to him in that way using a light that's so bright, it knocks him down on the ground. And then Saul hears a voice, an audible voice. God comes to Ananias in a vision. A vision is a very vivid communication from God. That's a vision. That's what a vision is. Sometimes God uses a mental picture that later someone describes. Sometimes it's, uh, there's an audible voice. Sometimes it's not. It's, he speaks the vision right into a person's head. Sometimes it's a, a person is praying. Sometimes they're dreaming. Sometimes they're awake when God gives a person a vision. Again, it's up to God. God communicates to Ananias through, through that vision. I want to say two things about these kinds of supernatural encounters. First, there's a part of us that love these. We want these because it leaves no doubt in our minds what God is asking. Saul and Ananias didn't wonder what God was asking them to do. And if we look at most of these kinds of supernatural encounters all through the Bible, it seems like God wants to do them at specific times when he wants something very specific to happen. So God, God communicates, appears to Abraham in a smoking pot. Make sure you hear Inna in that sentence. <laughs> Otherwise, it's God communicates to Abraham smoking pot, which you don't want to know about. <laughs> to Moses, God speaks through a burning bush. To, to Mary and Joseph, it's through an angel in a vision, in a dream. These supernatural events often occur when God wants a plan, his plan to move forward in a very new and specific way. And the absolute prime example of this, of course, is Jesus himself. You talk about a supernatural encounter. When God came to the point in human history where he said, I want to communicate to the human race the most clear picture of who I am, what I'm like, what I want to do with this little place in the universe called the earth, he came himself. You talk about a supernatural encounter for 30 plus years. Three of them in a very intense way. Jesus is saying, let me make it very clear what God's up to. I'm, I'm God. I'm, I'm, I'm here on the planet. Let me help you. Let me teach you. Let me interact with you. That's as clear as it gets. You see, supernatural encounters like these are, are up to God. They are. They happen when people who aren't doing anything spiritual necessarily anything to prompt God to do them. Sometimes, but they, but they seem like they happen the most when God has something specific in mind and he wants to leave no doubt about it. And if you've had one of these kinds of supernatural experiences, you really know that the only response is either yes or no because it's very clear what God wants you to do. But this isn't God's preferred way of guiding us. Even though we might hope and look for these kinds of clarity and this kind of direct in input, you know, these kinds of overpowering encounters don't engage our wills much. They don't. They don't necessarily flow out of a long-standing relationship where maturity and character have been shaped over time. One writer said this, I believe in miracle, but not too much miracle. For too much miracle would weaken us, make us dependent on miracle instead of our obedience. Just enough miracle to let us know that he's there, but not too much, lest we depend on it when we should depend on our own initiative and on his orderly processes for our development. 
I've had one experience in my 60 plus years of life that I would put in this, cal- in, in this category of a supernatural encounter that left no doubt in my mind that that was God. I've had three visions along the way. And interestingly enough about those four experiences is they didn't happen when I wanted them to. I mean, I prayed for visions. I prayed for, have you ever done this? God, make it clear. You know, send me an email. Give me a burning bush. Send an angel. Crickets. And then all of a sudden, sometimes you're, you're not doing anything particularly spiritual and God sends a vision. Or he, like in Paul's case, he just, a supernatural encounter because God, God and here's the deal. God doesn't often send them when we want them. He sends them when? When he knows we need them. When he knows that that's exactly what we need. And so we have these supernatural experiences sometimes. Uh, Secondly, the other thing I want to say is that hearing God speak to us through these kinds of supernatural encounters, you don't have to be some super spiritual elite person for this to take place. You don't. You don't have to be a missionary, a monk, a minister. Ananias, who's he? Uh, You're going, who's he? Exactly, that's my point. We don't know anything about Ananias. He comes on the stage for this scene and then he drifts off the stage. We don't know anything else about him. And that God says, Ananias, I have a specific thing I want you to do. And I'm going to make it very clear through vision what that is. So ordinary people like you, like me, when God thinks it's the best or it's what, exactly what we need, we'll have one of these kinds of supernatural encounters. Number two, God speaks to us through the Bible. After Saul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, this is what happens in verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And the assumption is that these disciples are helping Paul understand what he just experienced. He'd had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, who he thought was dead. And now Paul has to go later. He goes, I I saw the resurrected Jesus. Paul is trying to figure out what this all means. And the disciples in Damascus are helping him figure this out. So much so that in verse 22, it says, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And how does he do that? He uses the Bible, the Old Testament part of this, the Older Testament. Paul was a Paul was an expert. He'd been educated. He'd been to the university on the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. What he didn't know was how Jesus fit into the whole Old Testament story. And that's what the disciples helped him do. And over the course of time, Paul becomes this very powerful person that is trying to persuade people to understand, let me show you how Jesus fits in to the whole story. And he used the Bible to do it. And God is God to great links to make sure that you and I have, have, have his Bible, accurate, authoritative, the word of God. And I know there are people uh, who would say, oh, Dennis, you can't really trust, that's not the word of God, come on. There's too many human fingerprints all over it. Well, I could give you all the textual evidence and I could give you books to read that talk about how, why we can trust in all the archaeology and all the history and all the... the, the Manuscript translation and why we can all, I could give you all of that and I, and I can. But let me just come at it this way. If God could create a universe, pretty big place I've heard, billions of galaxies, and make them all work, you don't have planets colliding with each other all the time. Think of your body. If God could create your body, 
billions of cells, all kinds of systems. Think about your brain. Think about your eyes. If God can do that and has the power to do that, don't you think he could write a book? Don't you think he could write a book? Professor Dallas Willard said this, it cannot be stressed too much that the permanent address at which the word of God may be found is the Bible. I love that. You ever wonder what God thinks about something? Permanent address, go right here. He says, more, I've, he said, more of God speaking to me has come in conjunction with the study and teaching of the Bible than anything else. Another spiritual leader wrote, the written word is the wire on which the voice of God will certainly come to you if the heart is hushed and the attention is fixed. There are 31 references, Old Testament references in the book of Acts alone. That's because God has always used the written word to communicate ever since the time of Moses. God says, I'm gonna write it down, write it down for other people to have access to. It's not like when Jesus shows up on the scene, God began to speak, and for three intense years, God spoke, and when Jesus ascended, God shut up, and we're sort of left with silence. No, God has always, spoke, God has always been speaking from the moment God said, let there be light, and there was light, he's been speaking and communicating. And one of the best ways to do it is right, is right through here. And there are two extremes to, in fact, in the New Testament alone, because Jesus is such a strong revelation, strong image, saw a picture of God. When it came time to put the Bible together, God says, I'm not gonna just give you one story of the life of Jesus, not just two, not just three, I'm gonna give you four autobiography or biographies of the life of Jesus because God says I want to give you four spectacular vistas from which to observe the life of Jesus so Matthew writes his gospel and Mark on this vista writes his gospel about the life of Jesus and Luke a Gentile writes his gospel from this vista perspective of Jesus and John 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead, comes in and says, let me give you the 30-year perspective of the life of Jesus, having lived and walked and learned and followed and being prompted by the Holy Spirit for the last 30 years. Now let me give you this picture of Jesus. Grateful that he did that. And there are two extremes to avoid when it comes to trying to seek God's guidance from this book, hearing God. One is the Bible roulette method. Where we go, you know what? Whatever God says in this book, I'm going to go do. I don't care where it is or what. So you, oh, God directs me. And you point to the verse that says, Judas went out and hanged himself. Well, that doesn't, wait a minute. Let me, uh, you flip over and go, go and do likewise. No, 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 that can't be the will of God. And you go, whatever you do, do quickly. <laughs> you, you, that doesn't work that way. All right, there's, it's not like magic. And the other extreme to avoid is to go to the Bible and go, oh, it's, it's so laced with names I can't read and history I don't know anything about. I'm just going to throw it out and not read it at all. Those are the two extremes to avoid. That's why we encourage people to read your Bible every day. A few verses every day. To learn to hear the voice of God that comes down the wire of his word. Or that over the course of time and through the reading of the whole story of God, you know, throughout the whole Bible, we begin to understand the themes. We begin to understand the heart of God, the passion of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God. So that at some point when we're trying to decide, is this, 
decision I need to make. I'm trying to hear from God. If it lines up with the voice of God that you know, it probably is what God wants you to do. But if we haven't done that, we don't know that, uh, we might end up doing something where the Bible, you read later, you go, oh, the Bible said I shouldn't do that, but I did it anyway. That's the way it works, this Bible reading stuff. That's why we encourage everyone to be in a small group. You know, I, you know things about the Bible I don't. I know things about the Bible you don't. And we can have God speak to us in that mix. I co-lead a men's group on Saturday morning. Uh, any man's invited to come any Saturday. And this is what we're doing, Acts. And we, we study together, we talk about it, we, uh, we discuss, we disagree sometimes. Well, I think it says that, well, I think it says this. And over the course of time, we learn to hear the heart of God and the communication of God coming through the book as we study together in groups. Uh, so we have a 201 class. Uh, it's called Crossroads Next Step Class. It's 201 where we will teach you how do you hear God? How do you listen to God's voice through this book? And it's why you come here on the weekends, right? You know, we, we try to do as good a job as we can of speaking the truth of this book. Our, I, a seminary professor who said, our job is not to teach people the Bible. Our job is to teach people about life through the Bible. That's where the power, that's where the authority comes from. It's what God uses is, is, his, is this book. So that's why it's important to be here often as you can. A churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper one day complaining about church. He said, I've gone to church for 30 years and have heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time listening to all of that Bible teaching. A few days later, a person responded. In the past 30 years, I've eaten about 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I can't recall the specific menu of very many of them. But I do know this. They all nourished me and gave me the strength I needed to do my work. And if I hadn't eaten, I'd be dead. If you don't eat, we could be dead. We could be starving spiritually. And every day, God might be wanting to say something or communicate something to us through this book. And what we simply need to do is open it and read it day after day. And God will speak to us and we'll get to know him that way. Here's number three. God speak to us, speaks to us through other people. And I love this part of the story. God comes to Ananias in Damascus and tells him that this very dangerous guy from Jerusalem has had this wonderful conversion experience. You know, this guy that's like hauling people to Jerusalem who's been uh, known to be uh, affirming the killing of Christians like he did Stephen earlier in the book. Oh, and by the way, Ananias, I want you to go find this guy. He's staying at this person's house and I want you to welcome him with open arms and I want you to teach him about his new job description. And you can imagine Ananias' response. Me? You want me to do that? God goes, yeah, you. You, for chapter nine, verse 15. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. This is amazing. God tells Ananias, this guy we've never heard about, what he wants Paul to do. Like this is Paul's future. This is Paul's purpose, Paul's life mission. And he tells Ananias and he says, I want you to go tell Paul that this is what Paul's to do. And so he does, hesitantly at first, but he goes and tells Paul. Now, God told Paul as well what he wanted him to do. But sometimes 
When God wants to give us a message, he'll do it through another person. He could speak directly, and sometimes he does, but sometimes he wants to involve another person. And just as the Bible comes into our minds from the outside, a human voice that is empowered by God also comes to our, into our minds from the outside. This is God's primary objective way of communicating to us. Now, now hear me on this. Yes, God can speak directly into people's minds and hearts, and he does all the time. But it seems like his preferred method so many times is to use another person to speak into our lives. I mean, the whole Bible is that, right? God speaking through his word, through other people to us. It's the whole Bible. He's always done this, speaks to other people through other people. And here's why. It's because God loves the creativity and the responsiveness and the love of living tools instead of dead tools. He'd rather use you and me to communicate because he wants to involve us in what he's doing on the planet. He wants to involve each, you and I in what he's doing at Crossroads. He doesn't want to just, you know, involve you and you directly and you directly and you directly. He wants to involve you with you and you with you and you with you and you with me because there's so much more life and there's so much more creativity and so much more color and so much more joy when we get to be involved in what God's doing. It's the way he works. It's the way he's designed it. And sometimes God speaks ineloquent people to speak for him. And if you don't know what ineloquent means, it means I ain't talk so good. That's what ineloquent means. Because you might say, well, God couldn't use me. I don't speak very well. Well, if that's the case, you're in good company because that's what Paul thought too. Paul thought in 1 Corinthians 2.1, he says, when I came to you, I didn't come with what? I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom. And in verse four and five, he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God often chooses people who think God couldn't use me to use. And you might be thinking, God's not gonna use me to speak to another person. And God says, that's exactly who I want to use. Because when there's a little bit less of you, there can be a little bit more of me. And that's what I want people to see is me. And I wanna use you to do it. This is amazing, it's so cool. God speaks oftentimes through people. When I was trying to decide my senior year of college, what I was gonna do, I had four really good options. And ministry was one of them. I mean, it wasn't the top on my list. It wasn't even second on my list. I just kind of had it on the list because I thought, well, God might want me to do that. I'm not sure. And I'm just agonizing over this decision. I prayed for the burning bush. I didn't get it. I prayed for the burning email. It never came. I prayed for the smoking pot. I mean, I wanted this vision from God and nothing, nothing. And so one day I thought, I just need to talk to a, a wise Christian friend. So I sought out this person and I said, hey, can I talk to you about these choices? And he listened to me and he knew my heart and I knew that he was connected with God. And at the end of our conversation, which was quite long, he looked over his desk. I, I can remember this like it was yesterday. He looked over the top of his desk. He looked me in the eye and he said, Dennis, I don't think you're gonna be content doing anything else until you give something like ministry a try. And I walked out of his office and I go, that's it? 
That was God's word to me. There was a part of me that didn't want to say it to myself because I knew what it was going to mean. It was mean, I'm not going to be a farmer. You know, I'm not going to be a commercial fertilizer manager. I'm not going to be involved in state education, at least. I'm going to be involved in ministry. And so I said to God, okay, I'll do it for three years. Then I'm going to go back to that. Well, God works with us, right? He says, I'll take the three. And then it became four, and now it's been 40. And that's just the way God works sometimes. But he used this wise friend that one day. Why? Because he knew I needed a wise friend. I didn't need an email from him, a burning bush, a smoke. I didn't need that. God said, this is what you need. And sometimes you might be facing some difficult or some big decision right now in your life and you're struggling between that or that or that. And it might be helpful to consult a wise person. Someone who's, you know, is a connection to God. They're going to listen to your heart. Not just a buddy who you know, they're going to tell you to do whatever you want to do. I mean, we have those people and they're wonderful. But sometimes you need someone who's going to like push you a little bit. Test your thinking. Challenge some of the things that you're thinking. And the other side of that is, God might have somebody seek you out for your wisdom, for your input about a decision they make. And that's why it's important for us to be hearing God as well. So God can use us in the lives of other people. So that's number three. Here's number four. God speaks through open and closed doors. Oh, God wants me to do that, the door's open. God doesn't want me to do that, the door's closed. Let me say this about this one. The more mature you are in life with God, the less God wants to use this method. Even though we like it, because it seems very clear. Here's why. Because this is the most passive on our part, and it puts all the responsibility on God. I mean, what if your kid was 40 years old and they kept coming to you and asking you for specific directions? Over the course of time, you're going to go what? Make your own decision. You're smart. You're bright. You decide. This is the most passive. God opened the door. Oh, you opened the door. I'm going through. Here's the other thing that happens if we want an open door. We walk through. It doesn't work out so good. We can blame God. Low risk on our part. Low passive. God, I took the open door. Here's the other thing about open doors. Ever faced a temptation? It was an open door. It was wide open. Oh, God must want to do it. The door's open. No. Actually, he wants you to say no to that door. Saul has an open door to go to Damascus and arrest and perhaps persecute Christians. It's a wide open door. He has permission to do it. He has extradition papers for all these people. What does God do? Closes it. No, Paul, that's not what I want you to do. Not what I want you to do. Then, later in chapter 9, when Paul wants to go to Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem, his home, and he wants to be accepted into the Christian community there, they're going, no, the door's closed. We're not accepted, Paul. We know, we have this reputation. So this is what this guy named Barnabas does in 927. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told him how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So here's God using a person, and we just talked about how God uses people, to communicate to the whole church in Jerusalem what God wanted them to do with Paul. Accept him. It really is. He's legitimate. This is really going to happen. Now, does God use open doors that he wants us to walk through? Yes. So hear me. Does God close the doors sometimes? Yes. But it's not his preferred method. 
Sometimes the closed door is what God wants us to go through, but it's gonna take a lot of knocking. Sometimes he wants us to beat down the door, beat down the door of injustice, beat down the door of addictions, beat down doors of our own pride and our own self-centeredness. Sometimes a closed door is exactly the one God wants us to walk through, but he's not gonna open it because he wants us to use us, he wants us to strengthen us, he wants to empower us to get through that door. And sometimes an open door, closed door, people can just get really foolish about it. Oh, God opened the door. He obviously wanted me to do it. I had a guy say this to me a number of years ago here. He's not a part of our church anymore, but he said this. God obviously wanted me to have an affair with this woman or he never would have put her in my life. That's, can I just say what it is? That's stupid. That's just stupid, right? Oftentimes doors of temptation stand wide open. And that's why, you know, throughout this whole talk, and I said it earlier, we can't just focus on one of these hearing aids, if you will, one of these methods. It's not that simple. It's not that, it's not a formula. He doesn't want to turn us into machines. He wants to interact with us. He wants to have a conversation with us. And God isn't, and a lot of God's communication with us isn't because he wants us to do something or not doing something. He just wants to be with us. He wants to consider what he thinks. He likes being with us. He likes hanging with us. He just just wants to love us sometimes. And number five, God speaks to us through an inner voice. And this is the primary way God speaks to us subjectively. He just speaks into our minds or he speaks into our hearts. And over the course of time and with experience, we can learn to discern God's voice. People ask, well, how do you learn that that's the voice? There's only one way, experience. How'd you learn the voice of your friend? Recognize it, experience. Oh, it sounds like them. It sounds like what they would do. It's through experience. Uh, here's a verse that Paul wrote, it's not printed in your notes, Ephesians 3. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in where? In your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you will be rooted and established in love. The Holy Spirit, for anyone who's ever said yes to God, come into my life, the Holy Spirit is there, speaking and communicating to your hearts. Now our hearts and our heads, sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. Pascal said this, the heart has reasons the mind knows nothing of. And sometimes God speaks to us in our hearts, and we know, because over the course of time, we've walked with him, we go, I think that's the voice of God in my heart with that nudge. Sounds like what he would say. Sounds like what he would do. It probably is him. Then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, this is the last verse of the one that's printed in your notes on that 1 Corinthians 2 passage. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows what to teach him? He says, but we understand these things, for we have, what? The mind of Christ. We have the mind of thought of Christ. In other words, the thoughts that Jesus would think if he was me would be this. I mean, I don't know what Jesus thinks about what Jesus' life. What I'm most interested in, if Jesus was me, what would he think about this? If Jesus was you, what would he think about this? This week, right now, wouldn't you like to know, Jesus, what do you think of me? What do you think of how I'm interacting with my family? Jesus, what do you think about this decision I'm facing? Jesus, what do you think about this trouble I've gotten myself into? 
Jesus, what do you think about these decisions? Jesus, what do you think about this pain I'm in? Jesus, you know I was up at 2 a.m. this morning worrying, thinking about this particular thing, kind of stewing in my own miserable, toxic thoughts. Jesus, what would you think about this, about this thing I'm facing that's just keeping me up at night? We can learn to know his voice in the midst of all of that because we've learned to know him. It's not automatic, it takes time, but we can learn to listen to the voice. Um, Over the course of time, I've learned to listen to the voice of my wife, usually. Over the course of time, I've learned, there are times when I don't even have to ask her, I know what she's thinking, right? It happens, it happens with good friends, like, should I do that? Well, I know what Barbara would think about that. Well, how do I know that? Well, because I've lived with her for almost 40 years and I know what she thinks. That hasn't always been the case, knowing what she thinks. Like about uh, year 10, it was Valentine's Day. And I thought, I'm gonna buy my wife some roses for Valentine's. No myth deal, right? So I went, and this, this is what you need to know about my wife. She prefers simple, not cheap. I call it tactfully frugal. Right? Tactfully frugal. So when I decide I'm going to buy some flowers, a dozen flowers for Valentine's Day, I go to the best flower shop I know my wife would love me to go to, King Super's Floral. (laughs) Tactfully frugal. Right? I know that about her. So I bought a dozen white roses. I bring them home. I walk in. Happy Valentine's Day, my dear. I pull out the flowers. I give them to her. And I'm expecting this jump in my arms, you know, arms around my neck, romantic kiss. And, and I didn't get it. What I got was, well, you know, if you open a Christmas present from Aunt Ethel and it's a bottle of half-used perfume, you know, it's nice, but it isn't exactly what you want. And I realized, and she was very gracious about this. I'm exaggerating her response, but um, she was very gracious. And so later that night, I said, I, I guess I thought that you would have enjoyed these flowers, this dozen roses more. And she said, Dennis, she said, I thought you knew me better by now, but if you really knew me, you knew I would have been happier with one rose than 12. Later, I thought, I really, I brought, bought the 12 for me because I want to be generous and, and I, I wasn't really thinking about what she most wanted. And so the next Valentine's Day comes around and you know what I bought her? A vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Show her, no. The next Valentine's Day, you know what I bought her? One red rose. Little surprise. Because I, I was on the target of her mind, but I wasn't in the bullseye. And God once says, you know what? I love it when you're on the target, when you're hearing me, but the more you get to know me, the more you're gonna understand that when I speak to you, you're gonna be able to recognize that is the mind of God. That is what God would say. And I can say yes to whatever that is. We can all learn to hear the voice of God. You can do it. You don't have to be a super spiritual elite person. You don't have to become a monk. We just have to learn to pay attention on any given day. And I, here's the deal. God wants to speak and communicate with you today, right now. He's never stopped speaking. He's always in, he always wants to be in communication with us. 
I don't know how he's going to speak to you. He wants to speak to you this afternoon, tomorrow morning, when you're on the job, when you're facing a decision, when you're in the hospital. He wants to speak into all those situations. And I don't know what he's going to use. He might bring a bolt of light out of heaven and knock you down. Done it before. He might use a burning bush. He's done it before only once, though, that we know of. Most likely, God is going to use something from the Bible. God's going to take his spirit and he's going to say and whisper in your brain and you're going to go, is that him? And because you've heard and listened and been in the Bible and talked with friends over the course of time, you're going to realize, yes, that is the voice of God. I can hear him. Jesus tells a story in John chapter 10 where uh, there's a bunch of sheep mixed up in this pen and they're from all different kinds of shepherd's sheep are mixed up in this pen. They put them in there at night. And they come out in the morning and they have to find their sheep and lead them out into the, into the pasture. And they don't go in and drag them out by the wool. You know, this, this is, says this is how they do it. They stand at the gate and they call. Here, black leg. Here, frozen ear. Here, they often identified sheep by physical marks. Here, Less than wise, oh, one that got lost yesterday, sheep. And it says the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know the shepherd's voice. It says they won't follow a stranger. They know the shepherd's voice. If a dumb sheep can learn the voice of a human shepherd, don't you think that you and I, smart, intelligent, responsive people can learn to discern the voice of our good shepherd when he calls us every day and says, follow me. Let's pray. God, we can, we can make our way through life with some vague notion of who you are we can make our, through, our way through life without even considering that you might be wanting to speak into our situations. We can do that, but it wouldn't be much of a life. And God, thank you that you are a speaking God. You don't always use the same way, but today, tomorrow, this week, the God of the universe, the God who loves me, who loves you, is gonna speak into our hearts into our minds and we can walk with you and talk with you and that's the life you want us to have so teach us open us up to that in Jesus name Amen